a mountain, a sermon, and a golden rule. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Quite a few years ago, when our children were still children and not all grown up, and we were living in the U.S., we took a holiday one summer to South Dakota. Oh, that was so fun. That's one of the best holidays I think we've been on. It was a boys' holiday, and considering we had all boys, it made perfect sense. They climbed big rocks, they, they climbed over things, under things, they saw dinosaur bones, all sorts of things. But one of the things I remember were the gold mines, because that area of the U.S. was famous back in the uh, late 1800s for the gold rush. People from everywhere came and looked for their little nugget of gold. <laughs> the gold fever that was going on, sure. Yeah, they mined for it, dug into the earth, built tunnels, looking for that little vein of gold in the rock. They panned for it in the rivers. They searched and searched for that gold. In our conversation today, we're going to be talking about some nuggets and one particular one. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, there's quite a few nuggets in the Sermon on the Mount. There are some phrases there that are used that have become part of our everyday language and culture. Phrases like salt of the earth. Turning the other cheek. Or the meek will inherit the earth. A sheep in wolf's clothing. I guess a favorite of a lot of people is don't judge and that's usually where they end that phrase, but actually it continues on. But yeah, there are a lot of common phrases. And common uh, teachings in there. I mean, the Lord's Prayer is found within this Sermon on the Mount, and we've heard that many times, our Father who art in heaven. And then there are the Beatitudes, the Blesseds. Yes, there's the blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So there's some of the well-known Beatitudes. And then the sermon actually finishes off on a very famous Bible story. The wise man built his house on a rock. So there's a lot of nuggets in the sermon but there's one particular nugget that we're going to talk about today because there's so much material in the sermon, but we can really only focus on one thing, and that's the what's called the golden rule. So it makes sense to go to one gold nugget, the golden rule. Like you'd say a lot of these things are golden, but this one thing that Jesus said, one teaching, he said, actually sums up much of what has ever been said. And the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Luke also has an account of the sermon in Luke chapter 6, but we're just going to look at the account in Matthew. Before we talk about this gold nugget here, the golden rule, I want to put a framework around the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we're given a setting for the sermon, and then in chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, at, at the end of the sermon, we have the response of the people. But 
here at the beginning, the setting is that says that Jesus saw the crowds who were there. So already there were crowds around Jesus. And then it says he went up on a mountain or a hill and sat down. And his disciples came to him, his followers came to him, and he taught them saying. And so begins the sermon. Now, just a couple of things I want to point out here. The crowds were there. Jesus is up on a mountain, and his disciples, they come to him, and he teaches them. So the sermon actually are for the disciples. Jesus is teaching his disciples the sermon. Even though the crowds are present, the crowds are listening, but the sermon actually is for followers of Jesus. And after Jesus finishes the sermon at the very end in chapter 7, after he concludes the sermon with the parable of the wise and foolish builder, it says the people were amazed at his teaching. They were astounded at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not like their scribes and their other teachers of the law. So there's a contrast here, and Jesus is being painted here as like, a new lawgiver, like a new Moses, this Moses that's going to come and give the true teaching from God. So Jesus is very different. He is the master teacher. And the people, when they heard him, they responded by being amazed at his teaching. He was just different than everyone else. Well, I think it would be good because there's so much here, David, that maybe I should just go ahead and throw out our outline right at the beginning. So, a lot of detail, but we've sort of narrowed this down to three points that we kind of agreed we could capture the sermon. So, the first point is just be the light of the world. And that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Be the light of the world. And then the second point, basically, is how to be the light of the world. He gets down into some specifics. And that's Matthew chapter 5, 17, all the way through chapter 7, verse 12. And it's in that part of the sermon that we're going to go back to, because that's where you find the golden rule. But the last point is actually a parable that Jesus tells about the wise and foolish builders. So in that last point, in the third part of this sermon... Jesus is saying, build a house. Make a choice. What kind of house will you build? Where will you build your house? So it comes down to a decision. So it's three big points and then a zillion things within that. In the main part of the sermon, from chapter 5, verse 17, through chapter 7, verse 12, like you said, Mary, there's so many subpoints in there, so many things that are important. But the whole conclusion is in chapter 7, verse 12, and that's the golden rule, and that's where we're going. The very end of a sermon, before Jesus makes his concluding remarks and is the parable of the wise and foolish builder, Jesus says, do for others the same things you want them to do for you. And this is the meaning, or this sums up the law and the prophets. And that's the golden rule. So I want to... Go back to that. It says, do to others. This is not about what you don't do. This is about what you do to others, right? That's an important thing to notice, yeah. 
It's not just minding your own business, but it's actually doing to others, doing an action for others, the same kind of action that you want them to do for you. This is what makes for relationships and good relationships. So it seems like the reason this is such pure gold is because exactly what the second part says, this is the meaning of the law of Moses and the teaching of the prophets. Jesus said, this nugget right here, do for other people the same things you want them to do for you. That sums up everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's so simple, but yet so profound. Jesus says it sums up the law and the prophets. You go back to the Old Testament, there are 613 different laws. And if you look at all of these laws, and there's all kinds of laws, basically they're all getting at how to live in community, how to treat the other, their actions toward the other. And so instead of Jesus sort of expounding on each one of those, he says, really, the law and the prophets, what they're about is learning how to not just get along with each other, but learning how to treat each other in a way that's respectful, that gives honor, and that helps the other person have a more meaningful, uh, deep, richer life. And that's what it's all about. That's what every person wants. But God is the first example of this. He did for us. He always does for us. He thinks about what we need. And, you know, life is not about just what I get from God, but it's taking His example on how He treats me and thinking, how can I treat others in a mirror of that? You're right. God is the great example because God's actions towards us are always for our interest. They're always loving. And wouldn't it be a sad state of affairs if God just ignored us, just left us alone? Because... That's how some people would say this same basic concept. They just said, don't treat others bad. Don't do to other people the things you don't want people to do to you. And in that way, we could actually obey that by just not doing anything. Just ignore people. Don't spend time with them, and then I won't treat them bad. In fact, he's he's putting this in a positive way. Jesus is not unique in saying something like this. There are other people in history that have said very similar things, but put it in the negative form. In fact, Confucius, who lived several hundred years before Jesus, said this. He said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. And that's what you're talking about, the negative point of view, not doing something. And then just someone who just lived right before Jesus' time. He died right before Jesus, right after Jesus was born, or somewhere around that time, Hillel who was one of the greatest rabbis and teachers of the law of that time, he was approached by a Gentile who wanted to convert to Judaism. And he says, well, go learn the law. And the guy asked him, or just said, look, well, what is it all about? This is what Hillel said to him. What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole law. The rest is explanation. Go and learn. So he put that in a negative point of view as well, but it's Jesus, and he's the only one. This is what's unique about Jesus. He said, do to others what you would have them do to you. It's 
It's positive action. It's getting involved in other people's lives. It's acting toward them in a way that will bring blessing to their life, that will enrich their life, that will be loving. I love how Jesus did that. He took a saying, really, that probably others had heard. You know, something that people would have heard, but he twists it and he says it in a truthful way, in a memorable way, in such a way that 2,000 years later, we are quoting it his way. I remember talking about the golden rule. I remember when I was a kid growing in, in school, we learned this actually in school, the golden rule. Actually, businesses sometimes would have a poster or something like that, a plaque on their wall saying, this business follows the golden rule. People recognize the value of this, saying they may not have thought about the implications and how far you can take this, but when I was a kid going to school and the teachers would would say this, we would learn this because the teachers expected us children, us kids, to treat each other in a very respectful, honorable way. Class goes a lot better when that happens. Well, it's so profound for me just to say, don't hurt him. That's one thing. But if I say, have you ever been hurt? Do you know how it feels if somebody hurts you like that? And immediately we understand that. We understand it from our own perspective. Our problem is sometimes not understanding it from another perspective. If I am in that person's shoes, as it were, what would I want others to do for me or to me? What kind of words would I want them to say? Jesus. Jesus is telling us to get out of our skin and get into the other person's skin. I mean, he's put ourselves in the other person's shoes, as you said. He's asking us to stop just thinking about ourselves and thinking about others as well. And when you do that, actually, it goes better for yourself, too. You mean it's not all about me, David? No, it's, it's all about you. From me, it's all about you. Oh, good. That's the ideal. That's it. And Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 2 when he was writing the church there. And he says, look, don't just look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. That's how Jesus lived his life. What a different world it would be if everyone in the world was thinking, how can I treat you well? How can I treat you in a positive way? We'd notice the difference as soon as we got in our car and got on the road. We would probably notice people drive different. We'd probably get out, and as we talk to people, people speak to each other in a different way. I think the world would be very different if everyone was practicing the golden rule. And we would live in a completely different world. So, David, how would we teach this lesson? The idea of the golden rule— yeah, this is a simple imperative by Jesus, but yet it is so profound. One question you can ask, and it's a general question, but I think it, it will help generate some discussion and some thinking. What kind of world would we live in if we lived by this rule? And just let people start talking about that. What would be different? Walked out of our house, got into our car, start driving, the conversations we would have at work. Uh, or at church, or wherever, the implications can be profound. What would be different? So I know with children, we'd be thinking, how can we help children have empathy? For children, I think this is a big challenge. And 
we're faced against actually some developmental issues when we're teaching the golden rule to children. We come into this world as infants, and it is all about us. <laughs> all we think of is, is our hunger and are we sleepy? We're uncomfortable. We cry. People tend to us. It's all about us. But that's the way God made us. That's how we begin in this world. It takes development and even maturity to start thinking outside of ourselves. It's actually impossible. A baby doesn't actually understand there is a world outside of their body. It takes them a while to realize that object in front of them is their own hand. Hmm. They haven't developed in that way yet. So as we're teaching children, we need to gently encourage them in this area. They're not going to automatically share their toy when they're very little. It's a taught thing. It's a practice. In fact, very young children, they just go through days in and out just in parallel play. They may be by another child. They don't actually interact. They just play beside each other. And sadly, come to think of it, that's how we as adults sometimes try to live life, just in parallel, not interacting. That's dangerous. And that's like an infant. Wow. Maybe sometimes we're guilty of that and not thinking about that. Like we go to church, we engage in the worship there. We just kind of expect it between me and God and not think about the person next to us. But actually, it, we need to involve the other. It's not just parallel worship. It's worship of God together and encouraging each other and provoking each other to do what is good and to love each other. I think this is why Jesus often says, and the teachings in the Bible are about growing up, talking about being an infant and then maturing, because there's so many things. I don't think that was an accident. God knew we would need to develop as a human from this infant into a mature person. And he uses that parallel a lot of times, saying we need to mature in Christ. Right. We mature in our faith. And we're expected to mature. Just like a child is expected as he's developing, or as she's developing, to mature. I think one of those things is just the encouragement. When you see a child act with compassion, even if they don't quite understand that compassion fully, notice it. Be positive. Reinforce it. Oh, wow, look how you shared your truck with your brother. That is so kind. You're being very generous to your brother. You must be thinking about your brother. You can voice these things, and they will grow into it. But that positive reinforcement. There's a couple of things you can do in an adult class. There's one thing, actually, that I do in the class, because I teach uh, the Gospel of Matthew in the South Pacific Bible College, and you know, we look at the sermon. And one of the things I ask our, the class to do is to pair up, or the class is large enough to get in groups of three, and take the Sermon on the Mount and then choose a text from the sermon and then mime that to the class and let the class guess what part of the sermon that is. So you're acting out with no sounds. Acting out with no sounds. You're just miming it. And my students love it. And that's something you can do in the adult class. I think they would enjoy that. That would reinforce our understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. But on a more serious note, another thing that I think could be helpful 
in understanding the implications of the golden rule. Take a stack of index cards and write on each one some differences that people have. For instance, I would write on one molecular biologist, another one mother of young children, another one a homeless person, another one people of color. And you can go on and on writing something different on each one. And after I teach in the Golden Rule, I will pass these cards out and I would ask the class, okay, you pick a card. I want you to think about this person here, this particular trait of this person. And if they came into the classroom and sat by you, how would you treat them? How would you live out the Golden Rule? How would the Golden Rule apply to you toward that person? That sounds really good, David. That sounds like an imaginative idea for an adult class. I love it. Well, when I read through the Sermon on the Mount, I'm struck by how many natural things are listed. You know, Jesus is not preaching a sermon that's kind of ethereal and high, and even though it's so rich and has such profound content, He's using everyday objects that people know. He's using salt and light. He's using animals, wolves, sheep, vermin, which is just rodents, bugs, things like that. He's talking about their body, their right hand and their left hand. He's using all of these things that are immediately recognizable to his audience. And I think that's one of the reasons I consider Jesus, the master teacher. And I want to be like that. When I'm teaching children, I want to use situations and objects and settings that they see every day so that they can hear the Word of God, but it soaks in. So this concept of the golden rule, it may be so simple as using shoes. I might bring in a few pairs of shoes, maybe some work boots, maybe some ballet slippers, a few different kinds of shoes, and we may talk about the kinds of people that use those shoes. Somebody that works hard all day and is gets tired and just feels like they just need a rest. That may be those work boots, and they're in dangerous situations. And then I'd ask a volunteer to come and put those shoes on, stand in those shoes, and ask them to say, How would you want to be treated if you were this worker? And let the children talk about that. Maybe they'd give them a glass of water. Maybe they'd ask them, would you like to sit in the comfortable chair? They can think of things to do that they would imagine now that they would want if they were that person. You know, the ballet slippers, somebody that's standing up in front of everyone and dancing and nervous and all of that. So then a child stands in those ballet slippers and we say, how would you practice the golden rule? How would you want to be treated if you were that ballet dancer? And I'd say, well, I might get easily embarrassed. I wouldn't want people to laugh at me. I'd want them to clap. I'd want them to say, good job. All of these Things You can use your imagination, but for me, that's just a simple way to get children to think with empathy, think what it would be like to be that other person, because when they can be that other person, then they can understand what the other person might need. I like that. I think that's great. 
Well, you may have heard our papers shuffling around today. We have papers strewn all over the place because, wow, there is so much in this sermon, and it is hard to choose. And it's not like those gold miners we talked about before that have to search through a lot of stuff, a lot of rocks, a lot of dirt to get to that little piece of dust. This is gold within gold within gold, every part of the sermon. All the way through. And I pray that you will take what you've learned today and think, how would my students want to be treated? What can I do in my teaching that will help my students? How can I practice the golden rule? And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children. 